Welcome to The Pickup, where four dumbasses talk about random shit. If you've seen the podcast before, then you would understand that the podcast consists of me, Ben, Seth, and Matt, where we all talk about four main topics, which would be music, sports, movies, and other films, and then a random topic. Now, due to um, everyone's busy schedules this week, we have done a different format for this episode. How it's going to work is that me and Matt are going to do little solo seven-minute segments of us talking about each of those different topics. Now, going into the first one is Matt with his music topic. All right, this is Matt. My first topic, I'm going to be talking about the Grammy winners because normally I would say the Grammys are always a little bit questionable, to say the least. Um, but this year, this year in particular, man, it really, it really gets under my skin. So I'm going to be going down the general field, and this is for record of the year. Don't Shut Me Down by ABBA, Easy On Me by Adele, Break My Soul by Beyonce, Good Morning Gorgeous by Mary J. Blige, You and Me on the Block by Brandi Carlisle, Woman by Doja Cat, Bad Habit by Steve Lacey, The Heart Part 5 by Kendrick Lamar, About Damn Time by Lizzo, and As It Was by Harry Styles, and About Damn Time ended up winning. See... I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna hate on about damn time. It's a great song. But I mean I, I think Bad Habit, first of all, captured everyone, everyone that was listening to it, like, all over the internet, all over and you know, even mainstream. The Heart Part Five, I'm not gonna speak on because I'd definitely be biased as a big Kendrick Lamar fan. Um as it was, I'm not gonna lie, as much as I want to hate on white girls for loving Harry Styles, that's a great song. That's a great song. And I think in my opinion, I would give it to Bad Habit. In my unbiased opinion, in my biased opinion, I'd give it to Kendrick Lamar. I think he's an incredible artist. That's an incredible song. But we'll move on. Al- so for album of the year, Voyage by Al- by Abba, Thirty by Adele, Unverantos and T by Bad Bunny, Renaissance by Beyonce, Good Morning Gorgeous by Mary J. Blige, In These Silent Days by Brandy Carlisle, Music of the Spheres by Coldplay. Mr. Morale by Kendrick Lamar, Special by Lizzo, and Harry's House by Harry Styles. See, I'm not really too big on any of these albums other than Mr. Morale, but I, and and the and the winner was Harry's House, and I I honestly agree with that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on that one too much. So I won't speak on this one for too long, but I I don't know. Mr. Morale was it was an excellent album, and you know it's hard it's hard to go against Beyonce in terms of albums. But I think they did actually get this one right here. All right, now for song of the year. A, B, C, D, E, F, U. Um, About Damn Time. All Too Well. As It Was. Bad Habit. Break My Soul. Easy On Me. God Did. The Heart Part 5. And Just Like That. And Just Like That ended up winning. This is the one in particular that I completely disagree with. See, because of, of those songs, I'd take About Damn Time. I'd take As It Was. I'd take Bad Habit, I'd take Easy On Me, I'd take Break My Soul, I'd take Heart Part 5, I'd take all of those over that song. I just don't think, and, and I think honestly, like, I, I mean, I, I think honestly, there, there is, I'm not going to say that there's an agenda amongst the, the Grammy voters, but like, if you'll see, and, I, and I'm looking up right now, I'm looking up um, the list of Grammys for Song of the Year. And I just think, you know, it goes to a similar type song every single year. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, and I'm going all the way back here. So you have in 2022, 
It was Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. That's kind of a slow song. 2021, it's I Can't Breathe by her. In 2020, it's Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. That's, that one's a little bit different. This is America. That's what I like. Hello by Adele. Thinking Out Loud, Ed Sheeran. Stay With Me, Sam Smith. Royals by Lord. We Are Young by Fun. Rolling in the Deep by Adele. Need You Now, Lady Antebellum. Put a Ring on It by Beyonce. Like, these are all, for the most part, like, uh, I'd say Leave the Door Open to Slowish Song. Can't Breathe is a Slowish Song. Bad Guy's a little bit upbeat. This is America. It sends the right message for him. Um, that's what I like is, I mean, that that's kind of an up song. That's, that's not really good for my point here. Hello is a slow song. Thinking Out Loud is a slow song. Stay With Me is a slow song. Royals is a slow song. We Are Young it could go either way. There's parts of it. Uh, Rolling in the Deep is a slow song. Need You Now is a slow song. Like, of all of those, man, they all are slow, slow-ish songs, which I don't think, like, th- that's not, that doesn't necessarily mean the best song of the year. Like, I think those will definitely be the ones that will hold the test of time just because they're all like piano ballads almost all right next is for best new artists i'm not going to really spend too much time on this i'm just gonna go by them samara joy ended up winning i don't have any issue with that um i like i like i thought a lot i was gonna win i'm not gonna lie i think that would have been the best but i'm not too hung up about that best pop solo performance and this one was won by easy on me by adele um, Bad Bunny was also in it, Doja Cat was in it, Steve Lacey was in it, Lizzo and Harry Styles. Now, I'm not gonna say that Adele's not a great singer, of course she is, but pop solo performance, that song's essentially a piano ballad, like, that, that's not, that's not what pop is today, and I think that's definitely, that, that's definitely something that I would definitely disagree with, because I think that Lizzo had a great pop performance, Harry Styles had a great pop performance, Steve Lacey had a great pop performance, like, and, and there's a lot more that aren't even, like, like, Sam Smith with Unholy, I think, had a great pop performance, like, and, and he's up here for next pop duo slash group performance, uh, this one, and he ended up winning with, uh, with Unholy, uh, Post Malone and Doja Cat, I Like You, was on there, My Universe by Coldplay and BTS, Bam Bam by Camila Cabello featuring Ed Sheeran, Don't Jump Me Down by ABBA, and I agree with that one, I think Unholy, Unholy's a good song, I'm not gonna lie. Um, we're gonna go to best pop vocal album, and this one was Voyage by ABBA, 30 by Adele, Music of the Spheres by Coldplay, Special by Lizzo, and Harry's House by Harry Styles. See, this is my issue, right? Because this would be the time, right now, this would be the time to give that award to Adele, because that's not saying anything about pop, that's saying best vocal performance on an album. That is where Adele should come in. But again, like, you kind of, kind of spread them out, and the fans want to see Harry Styles. So I think there's a lot of pressure, and, and that, that's kind of my entire point here, is that there's, just, there's a lot of pressure towards the, the Grammy nominators to nominate people that the fans want to see, and not necessarily people that be the best for that, for that award necessarily. Yeah, I can kind of see that, like, The Grammys have kind of turned into a fan service show in a way where you kind of, one, there's their own kind of agenda that they want to push in a way, but two, they kind of pick people that the fans want to see rather than the people that actually qualify and deserve for the awards. Like Steve Lacey, for example, I thought he should have gotten the um, newest artist award or whatever the award's called, but I have listened to the other ladies, the ladies music who did win the award, and I can see how she um, qualified to win that award. 
So, yeah, I have different feelings about the Grammys, but overall, I mean, I didn't feel too good or too bad about it. Um, now I'd like to talk about, about my, uh, my segment, which is focuses around movies. I would like to talk about a trend that I've noticed about people criticizing movies today. Um, and I began to notice this whenever I was watching or looking at reviews of the Batman. I noticed that people have increasingly began to criticize movies for their runtimes. And this was seen for me when I was uh, first watching the Batman, which, in my opinion, was probably the best movie that came out in 2022. It is up there with Top Gun Maverick. But me personally, I'm such a big Batman fan. And what that movie did was just such a great portrayal of Batman and Bruce Wayne and that whole Batman universe that, for me, it was probably the best movie of that year. But I've been looking at reviews of the movie by some people. I began to notice that a lot of people would complain about the runtime of the movie, which I kind of was confused about because... For me, in my opinion, when reviewing a movie, I feel like you should review the movie at its face value, which means for me, I think that you should just look at the entire story and not compare it to the runtimes of similar based stories. For instance, if I'm watching The Batman, I'm not going to compare it to the runtime of a Batman movie made in the 1990s with Michael Keaton, for example. I'm not going to compare it to the Christopher Nolan movies. I'm just going to review it as this is the story. Does it have quality writing? Does it have quality acting? Is the story good? And that's how I view it. If I feel like it did not have enough story for the amount of time that it ran, then then that's fair to argue that the runtime was far too long. But for me personally, when looking at the Batman, I felt like the runtime and the flow of the story matched perfectly for what the studio and the directors and all the people working on the movie wanted to represent and for me once I realized that was that criticism was there I began to notice that for a lot of different other movies that were coming out in 2022 and just movies with long run times in general um but another argument I have towards that is that a lot of successful movies generally have long run times um, for instance, if we look at the top 10 box office movies, 50% or more of those movies had a runtime of two and a half hours or longer. Um, for instance, we could take the Avatar, the second Avatar movie. Um, what's the other ones? Avengers Endgame. Uh, I'm blanking on it. Um, I can't think of it. Um. Titanic, and I believe the first Avengers movie was also around the two and a half hour range. So I don't see a lot of people criticizing those movies for longevity. Now, of course, I've seen people complain about the longevity and, and the runtime for the second Avatar movie. But even for me in that instance, I felt like the storytelling and the visual effects made up for the long period of runtime. I never felt like I was like bored or just waiting for the movie to get over with itself. So for me... I feel like runtime should never should not be taken into account when reviewing a movie because there are so many successful movies that have significantly wrong, long run times. Let's take, for example, uh, The Irishman, for example. The Irishman is one of my favorite movies to watch. Um, it's on Netflix, and it has a runtime of three and a half hours. That is a very long amount of time, and 
basically, if you want to watch it, you got to take about half of your, um, be free for about half of your schedule in the day. But I love the story so much. It has such amazing actors and it just makes an amazing um, mafia style movie or gang movie, which and including so many amazing mafia um, actors such as Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al, Al Capone, people like that. And I just, I, at no point watching that movie, I think, geez, this is a really long runtime. I was hoping that the movie would last longer. I was like, make it four hours. I would enjoy that. So for me, I, I, I just don't understand the criticisms for the long, uh, the long run times of movies. Because frankly, I think if you feel like you have enough storytelling and enough quality that you feel like you can, the, the only um, way that you can put in that much quality is by giving it a, such a long runtime. I'm perfectly fine with that. Because me personally, whenever, and obviously there are certain circumstances where this does not apply. Like if a movie is just excessively long with a very large lack of quality, that makes sense. But I'm seeing most of this criticism from highly acclaimed movies like the Batman, like the Avatar, like The Irishman, like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, I believe, is also a very long movie. People will criticize these runtimes, but at the same time, these are movies that overall are amazing movies. And me personally, I'd rather have a really long, amazing movie than a relatively short, amazing movie, because I want to see as much quality and as much amazing acting and storytelling as I can. But that's just my opinion personally. I mean, I don't really... I don't always want to watch three-hour movies, but personally, I don't think that it should be taken into consideration as much as it is today when people review movies. But yeah, that's my opinion. Um, On to Matthew with his next sports topic. Moving on to sports, um, I'm going to start with the NBA. First of all, the the NBA trade deadline was one of the best NBA trade deadlines we've heard in recent memory. So, you know, you got Kevin Durant going to the Suns. You got Kyrie Irving going to the Mavericks. You've got a plethora of other trades that were just incredible. The Boston Celtics, somehow, despite pretty much making no moves, are still first in the league, followed very closely by the Milwaukee Bucks and Denver Nuggets. So, my thing with this is that, and especially as a Suns fan, I'm going to speak on behalf of the Suns, come playoff time, you need depth to be a, an excellent NBA basketball team. And I think that while Kevin Durant, I'm not going to argue the fact that Kevin Durant is an amazing player, franchise-changing player, and if we win a finals, you know how I'm going to cheer so much, but I just don't think that's going to happen. We gave, up, we gave up one of the best six men in the league, one of the best defenders in the league, and all of our picks for the next 500 years. I don't, I don't understand. Like we, This is an aging 33-year-old Kevin Durant that's – three years removed from an Achilles injury and already on another injury. So, and, and, you know, this is a guy that hasn't gotten past the Eastern Conference Finals in, since he left Golden State. I don't know, and, and I, I think Kevin Durant's a great player, you don't get me wrong, but I don't know if he's that guy to trade away your entire franchise just to try to get, you know, just to try to get a franchise player that's 33 years old. Now, one of the biggest surprises of the year, of the year to me is the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, I look at this roster, and I think, you know, Harrison Barnes, that's a, that's a decent player. You got Terrace Davis, who, like, I, I don't know, Matthew Della Vadova, 
He's definitely past his prime, but he was great on the Cavs. P.J. Dozier, Kessler Edwards, Keon Ellis, De'Aaron Fox has had a great year. He's really fun to watch. Rashawn Holmes, Kevin Herter has quietly been like all-star level almost. Alex Lynn, Trey Lyles, Jamezi Mitu, Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, great, is a, is a great player, very underrated. I loved him on the Hornets. Keegan Murray has been a decent rookie. Casey Opala, uh, Nemes Kuta, and uh, Demontis Sabonis, who's also been a great player. But, you know, you look at this roster, and this is not a roster that you say, oh, these at midseason, at the All-Star break, they're going to be third in the West. They're going to be eight games back from being in first place at a 32-25 and record. You look at that roster, that's not a team that you'd think would even be close to that. And, you know, you look at somebody like the New Orleans Pelicans. There was buzz about the Pelicans possibly being a dark horse championship contender this year. And you, you look at them, they're in the play-in now, and the, and the Kings have just overtaken all of them. Like, you, you can look at the top six and say four, five out of those six teams are teams that you 100% expect to be there. And that's one is the Nuggets, two is the Grizzlies, three is the Kings. We already covered that. No, no one expected that. Four is the Clippers, five is the Suns, six is the Mavericks. Who in their right mind would ever think that the reigning champion Golden State Warriors would be 11 and a half games back at a first place and fighting for a spot in the play-in? Not to mention LeBron's Los Angeles Lakers being two or three games out of the play-in. Like, this is, an, this is an unprecedented NBA season. Like, one, one that we have not really seen. Because I would argue that, you know, if you, look in, if you look in the East, I'd argue that the Celtics could win the chip, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Cavaliers. And if you look in the West, I'd say the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, maybe the Kings. I don't know. They're playing well. You never know. The Clippers, the Suns, and the Mavericks. All, and, and you know what? I'm never going to count out the Warriors. If they can get in, they have a chance. And I'd say, you know, you combine those together, that's 10 teams. That's 10 teams out of 30 in the NBA that have an opportunity to win the NBA championship. And I think this is not something that you see every single year. And, you know, I see a lot of people that are a lot older than me saying, oh, you know, this, this year's MLB or this year's uh, NBA is just so boring. Today's NBA is awful. But, you know, today's NBA, in my opinion – and obviously, I wasn't alive in the 90s, but today's NBA is so much more interesting because you know what the 90s was? It was Bulls make it to the finals, probably play the Jazz. You know, you might get the Suns one year. You might get, I don't know, the Rockets. Like, you never know. Who cares who's coming out of the West? It's going to be the Bulls. They're going to win. And that, that's what the NBA was right up until 2000. Kobe took over a couple of great Celtics Lakers series, a, a great uh, Magic Lakers series, and... I think your your problem arises right around the LeBron Steph era because that's when that's when the NBA kind of erupted, right? Because you had a bunch of kids, they all wanted to be like Steph Curry, and a bunch of kids that are a little bit older than me, they all want to be like LeBron. And so whenever you get LeBron and Steph Curry in the finals, that, that 2015 finals, and then Curry wins, that you know, the, the Warriors were like on the rise. They were a fun new team to watch. Then they come back and they set the record for most wins in the regular season. And then LeBron comes back from 3-1, and it's an un- unprecedented finals that, that we've never seen before and might not ever see again. And one, probably the best finals 
in NBA history. But, you know, you, whenever you do that twice, you're like, all right, that was an amazing finals. What do we have next year? Same thing. What do we have next year? Same thing. What do we have next year? Golden State versus Toronto. Because LeBron's on the Lakers, and the Lakers are ass. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what happened. Uh, what happened to all the NBA fans? Well, they're all back. Because this is way more interesting than any sort of quote-unquote rivalry going on where they just meet in the finals and play each other. Like, you've got the Suns and the Mavericks legitimately hate, hate each other. They are legitimately enemies. Like, they, they, they do not like each other at all. It's almost like the rivalries of old, like the Pistons and the Bulls. They, they hate each other outside the basketball court. They hate each other on the basketball court. Like, Luke will talk about Devin Booker on and off the basketball court. And then you got, like, the Celtics and Bucks, not necessarily a rivalry, just two great teams going at it. And speaking, speaking of the Bucks as well, Giannis is by far the best player in the league. You know, he, might, he may not win MVP every single year, but he is the most dominant force in the league right now. And so whenever you see Milwaukee, who's currently on a 12-game winning streak, the, the largest streak in the NBA, when you see Milwaukee's on a 12-game winning streak, how, you can't look at that team and say, there's no shot they win the finals. Like, they could be, and they're second right now. Like, they, they were in a bad spot for a while, but they, they're, they're, they're good now. But regardless, any team with Giannis on it, any team with Steph Curry on it, you have to look and say, if they have that guy on the team, there's no way that they don't, don't have a chance to win the finals. And my, my closing statement is, including the draft this year with, with Victor Webinyama, one of the most hype prospects to ever come through the NBA. There's no incentive to play well. You look at teams like the you know, Chicago Bulls, Indiana Pacers, Orlando Magic, Charlotte Hornets, Detroit Pistons, uh, Utah Jazz, Portland Trailblazers, Los Angeles Lakers, San Antonio Spurs, and Houston Rockets. There's no incentive to play well. You've got all these teams that are just going to pummel you if you play them. And you've got an, a generational talent coming through the draft. So if I'm the Magic, right, you've already got Paolo, you've already got Franz Wagner, you've already got Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony's playing well. Like, you tack on Victor Webinyama for that, and you could re-sign all your guys, and you are a perennial dynasty coming through every single year to, to potentially win a championship. You got the Indiana Pacers, like Tyrese Halliburton and Victor Webinyama together? Are you kidding me? Like, even somebody like the Lakers. The Lakers get big. Vic, AD, LeBron, uh, they still have D'Lo. Like, that, that's a crazy roster. And again, LeBron's the same way. If he gets in, you cannot count anyone, you cannot count any team that LeBron is on out of winning the finals. And I think the most likely scenario, I think, is that he goes to the Spurs. Um, Kelton Johnson is great, but he cannot do that all on his own. But still, like, there's no incentive to play well. Even, like, those teams that are just on the bubble, like the, the Raptors, the Wizards, and the Thunder, like, there's no point for them. Because, you know, the, the Thunder's going to have to play the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, the Mavericks, the Suns, the Warriors, somebody along those lines. And they're most definitely going to lose to one of them because they're going to have to go through two games most likely. So what incentive do the Oklahoma City Thunder have to play well? And I mean, I I don't have I don't have too many answers for you, but there there's 
there's got to be something that the NBA has got to fix. Like, the lottery, the lottery helps, but that just means that teams are going to tank for longer. See, because, like, in the, in the NFL, like, the Jaguars, they tanked for two or three years. They come back. Trevor Lawrence, stud. Trayvon Walker, very good. Like, and then they make the playoffs. But you see a team like the Magic, like the Hornets, like the Pistons. They've been tanking for a while now. But, you know, the Pistons just landed number one overall pick. The, or, the Magic, like, last year got their number one overall pick. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. The lottery could be doing more harm than good for the NBA. And I know that's a little bit outlandish to say, but, I, I mean, it's, there's got to be something for this. But, in closing, I think that there are right around 15 teams that are contenders in the NBA right now. And the other 15 have no incentive to play well. And that's your only issue with the NBA right now because it's so fun to watch the teams that are great. But if you're a fan of one of those teams at the bottom, then you just got to feel like you don't have any hope until June or July. Yeah, I have some conflicting feelings about the current level of like parity that is existing in the NBA right now. Um, I certainly enjoy watching like all the different good teams. Like That's not something that we've had as frequently as we have in the past growing up watching the NBA. For the last six or seven years, it's basically just been the Warriors and LeBron's team for the most part. And then you have the Raptors and the Celtics, of course. But other than that, those have generally been the main teams. But now today, you have so many different prospective teams. Like we have the Mavericks, we have the Suns, we have the Celtics, the Warriors, the... um, I would maybe say the Sixers, but seeing all this parody and so many good teams playing at the same time, it's, it's kind of conflicting for me because at one time, at, on one side, it's really fun getting to see all these good teams compete against each other frequently, but on the other time, it's, there was a level of enjoyability in seeing such dominant teams, like watching that 73-9 and Warriors team was just crazy fun to watch. But now it's like the West, at least, is like there are so many good teams and like the the rankings change every single day. So you can't even really get a good understanding of what teams are good and which teams are not. And at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to the playoffs realistically. Um, In in regards to the draft, I just hope the Hornets get uh, Wambanyana. I really don't care who else gets him, but that's all I can really hope for. Um, I'd like to move on to my next topic now, which is kind of just a random topic to close out. I have had this increasing dislike towards Snapchat as a form of social media. Me personally, I feel like it is one of the most useless forms of mainstream social media today. In my opinion, it adds no real value to um, social media or people trying to communicate with each other. In my honest opinion, I feel like it is a glorified WhatsApp to an extent. Of course, it has the differences to where you can like actually like take, like send snaps to different people. You can like see people's stories and stuff like that. But really, there's not that big of a difference between the two. There's only just the sending photos and the streaks incentive for remaining um, in touch with people. But I feel like if other people our age did not use Snapchat as, as, as much, I feel like we would not use Snapchat as much. 
uh, th- and this is different from other forms of social media, such as TikTok and Instagram. TikTok, for instance, has short segments of videos which which range of which have different ranges of all different types of stuff, such as like comedy skits, uh, sports clips, dances, stuff like that. And then Instagram has a kind of a platform to where you can post like how your life is going and see how your other friends are doing and what they're doing, what they're doing and whatnot, as well as the reels feature, which is kind of similar to TikTok. But the difference is with, there's not as much content creation or content absorption in Snapchat, I would say. Because realistically, most of the time you're on Snapchat is just to snap people and keep your streaks alive. Um, I'll sometimes look at people's stories on Snapchat, but I never find myself on the Discover page of Snapchat. The only time I really look at that is if I'm looking at a sports channel that's on Snapchat. That's about it. But I could be on Instagram for a long time just watching like the reels or looking at people's Instagram posts. And same with TikTok. But I can't see myself on Snapchat as long unless I'm like having a conversation with somebody. So for me personally, I feel like Snapchat is not so much a form of social media rather than just a means of communication, which kind of goes back to my comparison of it being like a WhatsApp where it's like a free method of like Wi-Fi based um, calling and texting and sending photos to each other. But yeah, it just kind of differentiates from other forms of social media because when I interpret social media, I think of more of, I kind of view it more as content creation, which you could throw YouTube in there as well with with kind of like a more of a presentation of content. Snapchat is more of just a form of communicating with your friends, like uh, just sending them snaps throughout the day while you're in class or whatever like that. I'm not communicating really with people on Instagram unless I send someone or like share with a reel with somebody. That's Instagram is not as much a form of communication rather than just a form of a platform to express yourself and show kind of what you're just doing throughout the day. So that's kind of my opinion. Um, I'll kind of talk more on sports and stuff to close out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about the NBA draft, to be honest. Um, the NBA draft is a weird system because, in a way, it kind of... It, well, not in a way. It promotes doing bad, which... In in the NBA system makes sense because you don't want crappy teams because crappy teams don't sell tickets and then the franchises fail. And then over time, that's just more or a bigger loss of profit in, on the NBA's behalf. But the system is very weird because it promotes being bad and kind of punishes being a good team. Now, this has led to an increased amount of parity, but at the same time, it also leads to teams just absolutely tanking year after year. And especially this year with Juan Manana, which I can understand, dude's seven foot five, shoots like well, shoots like an equivalent of like Kevin Durant, like with his ability to score like from such different areas of the of the um court. But and I and we're seeing tanking to a whole different degree than what we've had in the past. But I feel like there has to be a change to the draft system because it's only encouraging bad bad play. And I feel like you don't really see that in any other sport outside of the United States. Of course, you see that in the NFL. 
you don't see it as much in the MLB just because drafting in the MLB is much more complex and much more of a long-term investment. But let's take soccer, for instance. First off, there is no draft in international soccer. Most um, players are are raised and developed through an academy or they're bought from lower-level teams. If a team does bad, they are not rewarded with good players. They are sent to a lower-division team. What this means is it encourages teams to be good. It encourages investment in the team. It encourages development of players. It doesn't say, okay, it's all right, you can be bad this year. We'll just give you good players next year, and then everything will be okay. But but with that system, you don't see as much parity. You see an increase in quality of teams, and you get... One, it brings a bigger... um, concern for the quality of, of of the team like no fan like soccer fan wants to see their team tank nfl and nba fans are perfectly fine with that if the um if the draft value is that important like me personally i'm okay with the hornets tanking because i would love to see them have one manana but i would never ever want to see manchester united tank on purpose because that means they go to a lower level division and then they are not making as much money and then they are not going to be able to afford to pay for their players and then they're going to play worse and so forth and so on to where it's actually a negative effect to play bad, which you would think would be what is mainstream in most sports, but it's clearly not to the extent that we see in the NFL and the NBA at least. So I feel like there has to be a change. I can't really give an exact answer as to what that is, but... Yeah, it's just a really weird system, which is mainly based on just keeping teams um, talented and profitable, which is basically most how sports work in America. But, yeah. Well, that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, We're certainly not going to use this format as much in the future. Hopefully we'll put out an episode soon with everybody together. But thank you for watching. Uh, This has been me and Matt. Thanks for watching. See you later. Visit us at www.redtube.com. Goodbye.